This morning's Old Testament reading is uh, going to be from Isaiah chapter 40, uh, and in, we're, we're going to be back in 1 Peter um, for, the, for the message this morning, and uh, Peter is going to quote this, this chapter in Isaiah, and uh, one of the things that you'll notice is uh, this passage and how Peter quotes it is he's talking about um, the, uh, the, the temporariness of the things of the world, uh, but how the Word of God lives and endures forever. But it's also interesting because this passage uh, is also about the Messiah. And then we see in the beginning of the Gospel of John uh, that John says, uh, he calls Jesus the Word of God. And so we see that Jesus, when He comes, Jesus really embodies the Word of God in that He is the one who uh, very clearly communicates to us uh, what it is God wants, wants us to know and wants us to do and wants us to believe. Jesus is the, is the Word of God in that way. And we see that not only in John's Gospel, we see that in, in, in Isaiah 40, which I'm going to read this morning. Uh, so Isaiah 40, we're going to go from verses 1 to 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God, behold the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms and He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those who are with young. One of the strongest bonds that someone can have is that between siblings. I mean, your, your parents, uh, eventually you move out of the house. Uh, with your parents, and, or, or your parents uh, most of the time will, will pass away before uh, you pass away. And then uh, your spouse and your children, uh, they come after you've always, already lived a significant portion of your life. And so some will say that it is the bond between brothers or the bond between a brother and sister or sister and sister that is one of the, the strongest bonds out there. You live your whole life usually with your siblings. And there's a Korean folk legend called The Tale of Two Brothers that demonstrates 
the sacrificial love that siblings have for one another. And it goes something like this. Once there were two brothers who shared a large farm. One brother was married and had several children, while the other brother was single and lived alone. They shared the work equally, and they shared the fruits of the harvest equally as well. But each one had his own, ho- his own home, and each one had his own barn. One year, the harvest was so good that each brother's barn was filled to the top with the harvest that God had given them. One night, soon after the harvest, the older of the two brothers said, My poor younger brother, he has to feed his wife and children. It is not fair that he and I each get the same amount of the harvest. He needs the grain more than I. And so that night, he took a sack of grain from his own barn and he walked across the fields to put it into the barn of his brother. But that very same night, the younger brother said to himself, My poor older brother, he has no family to take care of him. When he gets old, he will have no one to help him with his work and no one to feed him. It is not fair that we each get the same amount of the harvest. He needs the grain more than I. And so he took a sack of grain from his own barn and he he walked across the field to put it into his brother's barn. Now in the morning, each brother was surprised because when morning came, they realized that each had given away a sack of grain, yet each had the same amount left that morning as they did the night before. And so night after night, the brothers crossed the fields with a gift of love for each other. But then one night, the moon shone brightly, and, the two, and as the two brothers crossed the fields, each saw each other. And they dropped their loads and ran to embrace one another. See, this type of sibling love, this type of brotherly love, is what Christians are called to have for one another. I find one of, the, one of the beauties of brotherly love and of being generous with one another is that when both, when, when both in the relationship are doing it, everyone's needs are being met. And that is what we are going to be looking at this morning. Our call to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now I know what you might be thinking. I already know that. I already know that I need to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, this is, this is like Christianity 101. So why do I need to hear this again? I think one reason is because we have, we have forgot what genuine brotherly love looks like. I mean, in our society, we throw the word love around like it's a football. We say things like, I love ice cream, or I love that TV show. But is that... Is that what love really is? Is that what love means? Does it mean that we find great pleasure in someone or something? It's the age-old question, what, what is love? Now another reason I think we need to hear this is because love within the church is of extreme importance. If you read through the, the New Testament, the letters that, that Paul is writing to the churches In almost every single one of them, he mentions the love that believers should have for one another. And so we need to be reminded of this truth, unless we are better Christians than than, uh, the Christians at that time who needed to be reminded of the truth. So if you're not already there, turn to 1 Peter 1, verse 22. We're going to read 1 Peter 1, 22 to chapter 2, verse 3.
says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. See, in this passage, Peter is going to continue on with the commands for the people of God. So if we remember the first verses uh, in his letter are looking at who we are as the people of God, and now he moves into how we are to live in light of who we are as the people of God. And, and two weeks ago we talked about how there is the command for us to put our hope in God. There is the, the call for us to be holy like God. And there is the command to be having a healthy fear of God as we walk through this life as Christians. And now we have the fourth command, which is that we are to love like God. And this is what we are called to do because this is what God has done. Notice the beginning of verse 22 and 23. It says, Since you have been, or sorry, it says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then again, it says, Since you have been born again. And so we see here that we have been purified. That word purified, we talked about it uh, in, in the very first sermon on 1 Peter. It means to be made holy, to be consecrated, to be sanctified. And since we have been made holy and been set apart because of the truth of the gospel, we are now called to respond in a certain way. And that way is to respond in love. Peter says what logically follows from what God has done, is that we love one another. And this morning we're going to look at three components of that love that we are to have. The first component is the object of our love. That is, who is it we are called to love? And the second component is the source of our love. So where, where does this love that we have come from? And then finally, the third component is the purity of our love. What does, what does pure Christian brotherly love look like in the community of the saints. By God's grace, we will leave here this morning with a better understanding of God's love so that we ourselves can go out and love one another just as God has loved us. And so the first thing we're going to look at is the object of our love. Who are we called? Verse 22 says that we have been pure, having having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now before we get into who we are to love, I think it would be, first, it would be good to first look at what, what actually is love. 
It's like the famous song, what is love? And so if you had to define love, how would you define it? How would you define love? I asked my wife that this week, and she gave me a pretty good definition. Uh, but for many people, I mean, love is a feeling. When people uh, say love or when people say that they are in love, they have a feeling of joy and happiness and desire for one another. They find each other lovely, lovable people. In this sense, love is not really a, a virtue that carries any sort of moral weight with it. It's, it's, it's a feeling that communicates some sort of preference or delight in someone or something. And now that's not wrong. I mean, I definitely am in love with my wife and take a lot of joy and delight and, and pleasure in her. But is that, what, is that what biblical love actually is? No, biblical love carries a, a moral component to it that is rooted in God's character. For God Himself is love. So here is here's my definition of love that I think Scripture teaches when it, when it teaches on the, the topic of love. And so my definition is love is the genuine giving of yourself in order to meet the needs of others. Say that again. Love is the genuine giving of yourself in order to meet the needs of others. Now there's really three parts of this definition to break down. First we see that love is the genuine the genuine giving of yourself. Love is genuine. It, it, it must be love that is a pure love. It can't be motivated by some ulterior motive for selfish gain. Romans 12 verse 9 says, let love be genuine. In our passage, Peter says that we have a sincere brotherly love and we are to love from a pure heart. So there's this idea that love needs to be something that is pure. It needs to be something that is true. In other words, the, the state of our heart matters. See, love really begins in our heart. And we can sometimes love for the wrong reasons. We can love so that we will ourselves be loved. We can love so that our needs will be met. We can love because it gains us something. Or we can use love in order to manipulate others into giving us something or doing something we want. We can do all of these loves uh, for many different reasons. I mean, but none of these really actually are love as the Bible defines it because it's, it's selfish love. Our love needs to be from a pure heart. It needs to be genuine. I want you to take the example of, of giving a ride to a, to a, for a friend to, to get to the airport See, if a friend asks me for a ride and I say, uh, yes, but I'm only doing it because, you know, I'm the pastor and that's my, my job, or I only do it so that the person in the future is going to, you know, return, return me a, a favor when I need something, or if, or if after I do it, I come home and I complain to my wife and be like, oh, I just wasted three hours of my time doing this. I mean, even though I'm helping them out, even though I'm doing what is the right thing to do, is that really love? No, it's, it's not love because it is not motivated from a pure heart. It's not genuine, and love must be genuine. So that's the first part of the definition. The second part of the definition is that love is the genuine giving of yourself. 
It's a giving of yourself. In other words, love involves sacrifice. It involves giving something. It involves setting aside something that you want or something that you desire or need and meeting that in someone else. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love does not insist on its own way. I mean, what good is the intention of the heart if someone is not willing to give themselves or sacrifice something for others? In James, in James chapter 2, he's talking about faith, uh, but James, his view of faith is similar to, it involves love, and I think that's very true. You can't really have faith apart from love. And what James says is, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and, and daily food, and if one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and well fed, in other words, you have these great intentions of your heart, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? See, love is more than lip service to doing good. It is actually doing good and giving of yourself. It involves sacrifice in some way. Now go back to this example of my friend needing a ride to the airport. If I say to him, you know what, I hope, I hope you can find a ride to the airport. That's not love. Or is it love if I, if I give him a ride to the airport if I'm already going to the airport myself? I mean, it's definitely a nice thing to do, but I don't know if I'd say that that's really like a, a loving act because it didn't really cost me anything. There was no sacrifice involved. I was bringing him along for something I was already doing myself. There was no giving of myself. So that's the second part of the definition. Love involves the genuine giving of myself. Now the final part of the definition of love is the genuine giving of yourself in order to meet the needs of others. In order to meet the needs of others. See, true love is purposeful love. And it is directed outside of ourselves. See, love is interesting because love is something that only exists between two parties. I mean, if, if you've ever uh, talked to a, a Muslim about uh, God, about uh, their God specifically, one thing I'd like to point out is that one of the problems with Allah is that in order for Allah to be a loving God, he first, must, he first needed to create something in order to love. And so uh, the, the triune God, on the other hand, we can say that our God is love because God has always existed as a trinity. And there was mutual love within the trinity because love can only exist when there is something to love. And that is true for us as well. There needs to be an object to our love. An object we can try to make ourselves and that we love ourselves and strive to meet all of our needs. Or the object, in the case of true love, can be someone else, like God or others. And back to my example of my friend needing to get to the airport. Is it loving if I drive him to, you know, the airport that I'm flying out of? Or is it loving if I drive him to the bus station? No, none of these are loving because none of these are meeting the good and, and realistic needs that my brother has. And so love then is the genuine giving of yourself in order to meet the needs of others. As a quick aside, completely unrelated to this, can I get a ride from one of you to the airport this week? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't need a ride. <laughs> 
but you should all be willing to now after that. So this is what true biblical love is, is a genuine giving of yourselves in order to meet the needs of others. And of course, this definition of love is most clearly portrayed in God, who is himself love, and is most clearly displayed in the love of Christ on the cross. And what's that verse that we have probably all memorized? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Or John in his epistle says it this way. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we see here that God's love was genuine love. God does not love us in order to get something from us. God does not love us because we first loved Him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We also see that God's love involved a a giving of Himself. God gave His own Son, the second person of the Trinity, to take on the form of a man and to suffer the wrath of God in our place. Philippians 2, one of the early creeds of the church says that in humility, though Christ was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. God gave Himself in love for us. And finally, we see that God's love was in order to meet the needs of others. Jesus was sent as a propitiation for our sins. Now that means that He was was sent to turn away the wrath of God, to absorb the blow in our place that we deserve for our sins. He sacrificed His life in the place of ours so that we could walk free and forgiven. See, that is the ultimate example and definition of love right there. And so what is love? Love is the genuine giving of yourself in order to meet the needs of others. So now that we know what love is, let's get back to the first point of our sermon. The object of our love. Peter says in verse 22 that we are to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We see here that the object of this love that we've just described, the genuine giving of yourself in order to meet the needs of another, is specifically for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Peter calls it brotherly love, which is Philadelphia in the Greek. If you ever wondered why the city Philly is, is called the city of brotherly love. That's why. Because it's named after this term. And Christians are supposed to be people who are filled with this Philadelphia for one another. It is true that we are, we are called to love all people and not just Christians. And Jesus says the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 5, verse 44, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. So we are called to love all people no matter who they are, but there is a, there is a special love 
that exists between and for the Christian. Jesus says that this is how, this love is how we will know, how, how they will know that we are, are God's disciples, that we are God's people because we love God and because we love the people of God. 1 John 5.1 says, Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And so if you are here and you are a Christian, you have been brought into the new covenant of Christ and you immediately come into new relationships with all other believers who are themselves in the covenant of Christ. I mean, there's no such thing as an individual Christian. There's no such thing as an individual Christian. You are brought into a new family, the family of God. But everyone who is in the family of God, which you've probably experienced, is not always easy to love. And one of the, the beauties of the church is that the gospel brings together people of all different walks of life. It brings people who, uh, if, it, if you were just uh, with people who are aligned according to your interests, you probably would not know uh, three-quarters of the people in your church. But the beauty of the gospel is that it brings all types of different people together. But with that, you end up coming into a community where, where you have people you, where you may not always get along with them. And you may not always see eye to eye. But Peter tells us that our responsibility in this community, in this church, is to love one another. To be genuinely giving ourselves in order to meet the, need, the needs of each other. That is really the mark of the church. Our church could be doing all sorts of good things. We could, be, we could be growing by the day. We could be having to set out more chairs because so many people are here. We could, we could have a great uh, evangelism ministry. We could have a great small group ministry. We could, we could be standing our ground very openly against a, a tyrannical government. But if we don't have love, we're missing something. We're missing something very important. I mean, what does 1 Corinthians 13 say? A lot of us hear 1 Corinthians 13 at, at weddings, but they'll cut out the first three verses which say, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I even deliver up my body to be burned as a martyr, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, Peter says that we can be doing great kingdom work, but be completely missing the point. And I don't want that for our church. I want our church to be a church that loves one another as Christ has loved us. A church that sacrifices for one another, bears the burdens of one another, allows our love for one another to extend grace and forgiveness even when we are wronged or hurt by our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this begins with us as individuals choosing to love the brethren. So do you love 
your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or do you tolerate them? Do you tolerate them that they are in the same church as you? Do you love the people of God who are sitting here with you this morning? Will you give yourself in order to meet their needs? And so that's the the first point. The object of our love is the church, the people of God. The second point, which if you're keeping track of time, don't worry, it's not as long. Uh, it's, it's where does this ability to love come from? What is, the, what is the source of our love? And let's look at verses 23 to 25. It says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that has been preached to you. So we see here that there are two sources for this love that we are called to have. And the first source is the eternal word of God. The eternal word of God. Peter says that we have been born again not by perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. And so we love because we have been born again, and we have been born again because of the Word of God. Paul says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of Christ. And since the Word of God is the, is the seed that has brought us life, and since it is imperishable and eternal, it gives us the ability to have a love that itself is imperishable and eternal. See, if your, if your love for your spouse or if your love for something is, is rooted in something that is perishable, well, then that love can perish. I mean, if you love your, your wife or your husband because of how attractive they are as, as a person, well, what happens when they become unattractive? And what happens when they become old and wrinkly or they get in some sort of accident that damages their appearance? I mean, beauty fades. That's the truth of it. Beauty fades and and charm fades and people change and circumstances change. And therefore, we need the source of our love to be unchanging and imperishable. And that source is the Word of God. See, Peter here shows the temporariness of created things by quoting Isaiah 40. He talks about grass, which grows and fades. He talks about flowers, which shoot up, but then fall. See, Peter here, he doesn't, de- he doesn't deny the, the, that perishable things are glorious. He says the, the, the grass is glorious. I, I love having a nice lawn. I love going out and walking in my bare feet on a grass that has no weeds and, and seeing it sprout up in the spring. It, it, it's a beautiful, God's creation is beautiful, or, or flowers. I like to buy my wife flowers or buy her plants so that I can see those flowers come up year after year. These things are beautiful. And the people uh, that Peter is writing to, they're living as, as exiles during the reign of perhaps the most glorious empire that has ever existed. The Roman Empire. I mean, they had a, a mighty army. They had uh, something called the Pax Romana, which, which uh, was referring to uh, peace 
that had, that had been accomplished during their, their reign. It was a glorious empire, but what happened? I mean, that glory fade and the empire had fallen. See, even the most glorious empires rise and fall. But there is one thing that remains, and that is the abiding Word of God, which remains forever. And it is this Word that has brought us life, and it is this Word that gives us love. Now, the second source of our love is related to the first. Peter says, and this Word that he's just been describing is the good news that was preached to you. In other words, the the Word of God that brings us life and brings us the ability to love is the true Word of God, which has come in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself in our place in order to save us from our sins. Again, I'll quote 1 John. I'm quoting a lot because 1 John is really a book all about love. 1 John 4 verse 19 says, We love because He first loved us. You see, Christ's giving of Himself is the ultimate source of our love. And why do we love? Because Christ has loved us. Why should you sacrifice your time and your desires and yourself for your your spouse, your children, and the others in the church? Well, because Christ gave His desires and His needs and His self for you. Why should you, you know, go out of your way to meet the needs of your brother or sister because Christ went out of His way to meet your needs. See, Christ is the source of our love and because He loves, we love. And so we've looked at the object of our love, which is uh, the church family. We've looked at the source of our love, which is the eternal Word of God and, and the Word of God come in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now let's look at the final point, the purity of our love. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, so, or in some of your translations, it'll say, therefore, so in light of this, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, Peter here commands the people to long for the spiritual milk that will allow them to grow up as Christians. And he uses the analogy of a newborn baby. He says, crave the the spiritual milk like a newborn baby craves the milk of her mother. I've got three children, and one thing that I've noticed is that there's there's a different cry that your kid will use uh, when they're hungry, when they need milk. And that is because they need that milk in order to grow. They need it to be nourished. They need it to be, become strong and to have their body grow so that they can become capable and independent people. And the same is true for us. I mean, like a baby, we have, we have been born again. And now we need to crave and long for the spiritual milk so that we can grow as Christians. Now the question is, what is that spiritual milk? We look at the context and we see that it is God's Word and it is the life of obedience that is demanded from it. So it's God's Word and it is walking according to this new life that we have been 
born into. We need to live a life according to our new life in Christ and according to the Word of God. And from that is going to stem this pure love. And Peter here describes for us what a life that is marked by pure brotherly love looks like. If you want to know what it is to to strive for and, and to long for, and what Peter says will help you to grow as a Christian, Peter tells us here, and he actually, he, he doesn't tell us what love looks like. He tells us what love doesn't look like. He tells us what destroys brotherly love and, and tears away at the threads of love that holds a church together. And now as we're, as we're going through, it can be really tempting to think that someone else needs to hear this. You know, someone, I, I wish my cousin was listening to this sermon, or I wish Billy over there in the back row would sit up and pay attention. You know, but I want you to evaluate this in your own life and in your own heart. Are these sins in your relationship that are in your relationships with others that are preventing you from having true brotherly love with the fellowship as the saints? And so as we go through, ask yourself, is this me? Is this me? So we see in verse 1, the first sin that he mentions is malice. Malice. See, malice has to do with intent and with the mind. It is ill will towards another. And you may never act on the evil thoughts that you have towards other, but you could still have evilness in your heart. You know, things like playing out in your mind maybe what you would, what you would say to someone or what you would do to someone if you had the chance to do that. Or maybe it's an anger or a bitterness towards a brother or sister that, that cripples your ability to love them. So are you being malicious? Are you, are you full of malice? The next sin he mentions is deceit. Now this literally means to, to bait or to set a trap. But that is not love. Love is, is true. Love is open and love is honest. Love doesn't have ulterior motives or any source of falsehood. See, lying and deceit is really the sin of the devil. I mean, he is called the father of lies and the deceiver. And nothing destroys Christian love and fellowship like lying. And so are you a liar? Are you a, are you a deceiver? Are you portraying yourself in a light? And are you saying things that, that aren't actually true or aren't actually who you are? Now the next sin is related. It is hypocrisy. See, hypocrisy is, is seeking love. It's demanding love of others but not giving love yourself. It's holding others to, to this standard that you, that you don't hold yourself to. And it's good to hold people to a standard. We hold one another to the standard of the Word of God, but hypocrisy is when you hold others to that standard that you don't hold yourself to. The question I'll ask myself is, am I showing the same grace to others that I would expect someone to show to me? The other day, my, my oldest daughter dropped a full roll of toilet paper into uh, this tiny little toilet that, we're, that we have in our trailer, and uh, I was upset with her. I was upset because of her, her carelessness. She shouldn't be doing that. But then, 
a day later, in, in the Lord's grace, he revealed to me my hypocrisy. Because as I was reaching for something, I bumped a roll of toilet paper into the toilet. And so we see here that I, I saw that I was, being, I was being a little bit hypocritical to my child. I was holding them to a standard. I, I, I was expecting, I wasn't showing them grace that I had wanted for myself. I was a hypocrite. And so the question is, are you? Are you a hypocrite? Well, the fourth sin mentioned is envy. Envy is a, 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 it's a strong desire for things that we don't have and it's discontentment and resentment when we don't get them. It prefers the advancement of ourselves to the joy of others. And so we can envy people's uh, lives. We can envy people's possessions. We can envy their wealth, their, their success, their spouses, their giftings, just their whole life in general. Now, it's not wrong to desire good things. It's not wrong to see that someone has something nice and be like, oh, yeah, that would be nice if I had that. But what is wrong is to be filled with resentment and discontentment when we don't have those things. I mean, love is, love is rejoicing in the good things that happen to others. 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And so are you an envious person? Now the final sin mentioned is slander. Slander is defamation or evil speech. To speak against or to speak ill of. And it's even in small things. Things like, you know, my, my boss is like this, or my spouse always does that, or this other congregant is, is, is really lacking or a failure in this. My, my old pastor was like that. You know, it can even be instances where even though there might be a shred of truth, you know, we exaggerate the truth in order to make the other person look bad. You know, slander is often at the heart of gossip, and that is not love. That destroys love. That destroys community. That love, love finds the good in others and it avoids speaking negatively about them. And so are you a slanderer? Well, Peter says that these sins, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, these are not what brotherly love is. Instead, we are to seek the pure spiritual milk that is our new life in Christ and the Word of God. And so if these, these are sins in your life, you need to repent of them. You need, these, are, these are serious sins, and, and, and we are called to, to turn away from these, to repent, to confess them before the Lord, and know that He is gracious to forgive us in it. And maybe you need to ask for forgiveness from someone else, from a brother or sister that you have, you have committed these sins against. That is part of loving as well. Now finally, Peter concludes here with an important statement in verse 3. Uh, look, look at what he says. He says, all of these things, to live this life, to pursue this, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, the motivation for our love is that we have experienced and tasted the goodness and kindness of God's love ourselves. If you want to love in the way that God has called you to love, it begins with the favor, with experiencing the favor of God yourself. 
And I mentioned it before, at the heart of love is that we love because He first loved us. If we try to simply, you know, just be more loving people because that is the right thing to do, that can easily turn into legalism. You know, but love is a fruit of the Spirit. And Paul even calls it a gift of the Spirit. In fact, he calls it the greatest gift of the Spirit. And therefore, it comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so if you want to be more loving with your brothers and sisters in Christ, it begins with loving the Lord God and seeing His beauty and His kindness and His goodness to you. You know, sometimes I'll joke around with other pastors and be like, do you, do you find it a little awkward when like two-thirds of your sermon application is, is read the Bible more and, and pray more? You know, but that is because that is really the key to much of the Christian life. We need to see and taste that the Lord Himself is good if we ourselves are to be good stewards of God's gifts. And that is done through seeking Him in His Word and seeking Him through prayer. And so as you go out this week with a a renewed desire, hopefully in your heart, to love the brethren, go out of your way. Go out of your way to give yourself to meet the needs of others. Knowing that it is the Word of God and that it is the Gospel of Jesus Christ that gives you the grace and the ability to answer this call of God on your life. Let's pray.